When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1127. Let's talk about you, the ID10T community, events at ID10T.com for the thing that maybe you have made or someone you know has made and would like to promote, like Scott, who writes, my name's Scott Greenberg. I'm a copywriter, podcaster, and music nerd, originally from Detroit, now living in Charlotte, North Carolina. 2003, I started an eclectic music radio show as a way to help keep my sanity while in between jobs. This turned into a labor of love and something I can't imagine not doing. In February of 2020, I lost my job a week before my 10th anniversary as part of corporate restructuring. Three months later, my station folded and I found myself without a radio home. Within days, a radio friend from back in Detroit presented me with the opportunity to turn the radio show into a podcast. It's now a year later and I've got 50 episodes up. Great job, Scott. Um, While I like to kid that debts no honest man can pay is a glorified eclectic music radio show masquerading as a podcast, it remains a labor of love, and I hope some of your listeners might take a moment to check it out. Find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for sharing, Scott. Uh, Everyone else, events at ID10T.com. And like Scott, you could appear at the beginning of a podcast promoting your thing that you have made. Um, this episode is Asif Manvi, who uh, was on the podcast. I looked up; it was like eight years ago. And uh, you know, Asif was on the Daily Show. He's a super funny guy, really great actor, and um, he is in one of our favorite shows that we, my wife and I, discovered after he came on the podcast. We started watching his show. It's called Evil, and it is fantastic. It's um, it's I, I guess like a supernatural thriller you would call it, Um, but it's basically about a psychologist who is teamed up with uh, a guy who's training to be a Catholic priest, who, by the way, is played by Mike Coulter, who you may know as Luke Cage, Um, and then this guy who's just like a regular blue-collar contractor guy, and that's Asif's character, uh, Ben, and they investigate this backlog of unexplained mysteries that the church has, including supposed miracles and demonic possessions and other extraordinary occurrences. And they sort of like, you know, is this, is this a science thing? Is this a religion thing? And they kind of within the group try to sort of figure out each, 
each uh, each uh, occurrence. Uh, but the show is fantastic, and Michael Emerson is in it, who of course was Ben Linus and Lost, and uh, Christine Lottie, and um, Katja Herbers, uh, and and then uh, one of the priests, a guy who sounded like the main priest, is a guy named Peter Scolari, who. Uh, was on Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks and went on to be on the Newhart show in the late 80s, early 90s. And he, just side note, is the guy that taught me how to juggle. <laughs> when I was in college, I met him and uh, we hit it off. And I used to go visit him on the set of the Newhart show and he taught me how to juggle. So I was so happy to see Peter on uh, on a show as well. I haven't talked to him in years. Uh, but uh, Lydia and I absolutely love this show and Asif is great on it. And it's on Paramount Plus. It was on CBS and it went over to Paramount Plus, which is really cool because now they can swear on the show. Uh, taking full advantage of streaming services. Um, but uh, it's uh, season two is up now and I believe... Hmm, I, I just, I'm going to double check, but I'm pretty sure it got picked up for season three. Uh, I hope it did because we're way into it. So that's Evil uh, is the name of that show. Um, also, uh, Asif has, uh, uh, is on another show um, called This Way Up, and that is on Hulu. So uh, this is uh, – it was just really fun to catch. It's, I, you know, the podcast has been such a great way for me to catch up with people that I haven't talked to in a long time. Um, and this, this also in particular because – um, Asif uh, has tinnitus, which I also have, and I haven't really had like a conversation with anyone else who has it uh, before. So uh, we talk about that uh, a, a bit in here as well. So here we go. This is the ID10T podcast number 1127 with Asif Mandvi returning to the podcast. Initiating ID10T protocol. Oh my god, I don't think I've seen you in person in ages. Yeah, I think that you and I, well, I did your podcast a few years ago. Several years ago now. I mean, I think Several it might years ago. And then I saw you on the late night and I was on the late night show with you. The the game show. Yeah, midnight program. Yes, I did that. I was like a guest, not like a contestant, but like a guest yeah. on it. And then I ran into you, I think, at the day, not at the, uh, at the, not the Emmys, the, um, the other Emmys, the uh, Creative Arts Emmys. The Creative Arts Emmys. The, <laughs> the I other. I ran into you backstage at the Creative Arts Emmys. I think you might have been going to the green room, and maybe I was going to the thing, and we did the kind of like, like, hey, hey, what's up? Hey, you know, right? hey what's up? Well, yeah, those things are so, uh, yeah, uh, th- those things are sort of weird because it's, you see people that you want to talk to, but you also know that, other people might be like trying to focus, especially if you're backstage. Right. And yeah. I always feel bad about saying more than two words to people if I don't know that they've already done their thing. Right. Be- exactly. I don't know what it's like for Probably you. Probably a good policy, actually, because I did. I was backstage at the Tonys, and I saw Tina Fey, and basically, my wife and I like. I think 
just like kind of got her in. A, she was standing by herself, like watching the big screen, you know, that they have in the green room. And then like basically just talk to her endlessly for like 10 minutes <laughs> and then realize like she was on like five minutes later, she was on the screen, like presenting something. And I was like, Oh, she was totally trying to prep or probably in her own wanted to be left alone. And we just fan boy girl. So amazing. I feel like you couldn't derail her. Like you, I don't think you messed up whatever it is that she was like, no. I become kind of a, I, I just I just kind of outwardly shut down because I'm in my head just going over and over again the beats of what I think the thing is going to be because I don't know, like, what the energy is going to be like when I go out on stage. So I just sort yeah. of, like, I try to get it as much as I can. And then just once you take that first step out on stage, it's like, well, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we got to let it go. I'm like that backstage in the times that I've done stand-up and I'm backstage, I'm like one of those, like like you're in the green room or whatever, and the other comics are like coming over and they're talking to you and they're like, oh, hey, what's up, man? Da, da, da. And, I'm, and, and I'm one of those people that I, I do stand up infrequently enough to sort of get nervous every time I do it. Of course. But frequently enough to sort of feel like I know people in that world who like see me and they're like, Hey man, Oh, you're bad. You're doing, uh, you're doing a gig tonight. And then I get very, I get very like antisocial because and people probably think I'm like a dick. Cause like, I'm just like, Oh, I'm really stressed. Cause I haven't done, I haven't gone up on stage in like six months. And I'm like, uh, you know, so no like, I, I know that's upset you, by the way, for saying like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just going over my set. And we talk to you afterwards to be like, of course, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, they I, would. And yes, somehow I don't ever say that. I just kind of, I participate in the conversation and then I'm half in, half out. I'm sort of like, right, yeah, uh-huh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, great, great. <laughs> I feel like when you're doing that, you're dividing your brain, like half of your brain is trying to just keep this this ball in the air for this conversation as minimally as possible. And the other half of your brain is like just that, that a list of everything you're supposed to do. Right. And then the other part of your brain is going, I wish this person would shut the fuck up right now. And just go away. <laughs> I love this person, but I wish they would leave me alone right now. Uh, I feel like most comics would understand if, if you said that. I don't know if this, I mean, there was what I did for a long time before I found out that it's actually a thing. But I would, if I was backstage and I was really nervous, I would start looking around and sort of calling out what everything in the room was to, to go, okay, like, those curtains are blue, this floor is tile. Oh, yeah. And, and then I realized a few years later, like, oh, yeah, that's mindfulness. Like, that's just, yeah. that's being, just, I didn't really, like, yeah, entire philosophies and religions right. are based on this. And here I thought I was so clever, but it really, um, it's so easy to get trapped in this, the ether of your thoughts and how it's going yeah. to try to control the result and try to project it, that it, it just helped me, you know, just kind of yeah, be. No, that's so funny that you say that because I actually took an acting class years ago. Um, and, and as you can tell now, I, and I, and I basically um, <laughs> learned this technique where he, the teacher in this class said, you know, if you are having that sense of like, you're about to go on stage and you, you know, the anxiety or whatever, ground yourself in the scene, in what's real, like this is the table. 
and the floor and exactly kind of what you're talking about, which is like, you know, here's a, here's a, a, a lamppost, here's a thing, you know, whatever it is, just ground yourself in the reality of your surroundings and it'll bring you into the present moment and make you present. And you're right. Now that you say it, I realize, oh yeah, that is mindfulness. That's kind of, but, but I learned it like in an acting class as like a technique to just keep yourself from spinning out of control. Just focus yeah. in the real world. Of course, the downside is if you do that before a stand-up set and you say all that stuff backstage and then you walk out, forget everything you're going to say and go, the curtains are blue. The floor is tall. Good night. <laughs> and not as helpful. Not as helpful. Right. It's, but, it, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a way to go. It's a way to go. I've done, I've sort of done that and then gone out and just stood there for like a minute without saying anything. And then people think it's a bit. (laughs) That's a bold move because like, that is a hard thing to do because every molecule in my body would want to be like, fill the time. What are you doing? Fill the time. Yeah. Did you find that it kind of got people to like focus like what's he gonna do like they really well, I, I got did it. yeah i did it once and i realized that what i went out there and just like smiled at people and just looked at them and sometimes gave them like a little like look you know like a hey you know so it wasn't entirely not filled but it wasn't right. filled with like a lot of uh, you know it was filled with kind of like and people, what was interesting was it grounded me, but it also grounded them in the sense they were like, what's he did? Like, he's not saying anything. He's just looking at us and just sort of, like, I just kind of go like, you know, like, you know, like that kind of thing. And just sort of pick out people and just sort of ground myself in different faces of people. And you could see that people were just like, um, What's he doing? What's he going to do? You know, it brings them in a little bit. So, what was your opening? What was your opening joke like? Was it was it about them, the situation? Was it something personal? Like, what? How did it was actually just? I just I just launched into a story, but it was very like it was just like um, yeah, it was just kind of like so. uh, I was walking down here, you know. It just sort of like started with like a story. That's a really great idea. It, uh, I mean, that literally would never occur to me to do that because I feel like the second I stand, I get in front of the microphone, it's like, hey, we're on. Here we are. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. I just get really, you well, know. It's, 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 it's definitely, and I haven't done it a lot, but I found that it helped me. Like, it just really helped me. Like, it felt, I, I, like when I went out there, rather than just like, because otherwise I would find like, I just go, and then the first like minute or so was me just, <laughs> just, just, just like I was swimming, but I didn't know how to swim, you know. And then, and then after, then you find your groove and you're in it. But I just found, I just like, I remember it was a, it was actually an acting teacher that told me that he was like, just try and go and just, just not, ha- just be still for like the first and see what happens. Just try it out. That's fantastic. Because ultimately, I think an audience, when they come together for a show, for a stand-up show, of course they want you to be funny. But they, I think they also 
need to feel comfortable that you know how to lead the room. You know, yeah. like to yeah. a degree, they're they're seeding their the the momentum of the night in that hour yeah. and a half, two hours, whatever it is. And whatever it is that you do, even if they're not, even if it's not something that's designed to make them fold over in half with laughter, as long as they feel like. You know what? This guy's got this. I can trust that he yeah. knows what he's doing. It's like a pilot, basically. You know, you wouldn't want a yeah, pilot. No, that is that is <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, I've realized that. Like, it took me a, a while to learn that, and I don't do stand up all the time. But the one thing I have realized about it is that as long as the audience knows that you're in control, and you know where we're going, mm-hmm. they're okay. Right. And they won't hate you. <laughs> the, minute, the minute they realize they're in control and you're out of control, yeah, that's when they resent you. And mm-hmm. then it's like just fucking contempt. Then it's just like, fuck you. Yeah. And, us here. It's like, like the horse realizes you don't know what you're doing and they're like, get the fuck off. You, I, yeah. I thought you were cool. You're not cool. This is... Right. We're Exactly. And that's the, that's the thing is that it's, it's almost a fallacy. It's like, it's a more than anything is that it's that projection of like, and you can be crazy and, you know, neurotic, like Woody Allen or something, you know, in that, but as long as the audience feels like you have what you said, well, you've got your hands on the steering wheel, you know? Right. And if, and if, and, and the, and sometimes I've seen, and that's true probably even in any kind of, not just stand up, but like, even if you're like giving a speech somewhere or you're just like presenting or, you know what I mean? Like you're just doing whatever. Like if you know what you're doing and you feel, even if you're doing a shitty job, as long as you know, <laughs> as long as the audience thinks, Oh, he knows what he's doing. He's just he's shitty, but he's he, at least he, they don't, they might not like your jokes or your stuff, but they will respect you to the degree that you are up there doing it as opposed to like when you lose control and then they just go like, fuck you. We're, yeah. we're going to kill you now. You, you have know? to be okay though. And it's, you can, it's difficult to fake that you, but you really have to feel like, you know what, no matter what happens up here, it'll be fine. And as long as, and it's some of that comes with experience and some people just naturally have that. And then there are people who are sociopaths who never don't know any other way. But, but the, uh, but as long as, as long as you kind of feel that way, even if a joke doesn't kill, I feel like you can roll past it pretty quickly and it won't register with them, you know, unless you really point it out, you know, again, like if you're a pilot and you hit some turbulence or something, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Did you? Oh man, that didn't go well. <laughs> you know, then the, 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 everyone on the pilot, the plane's going to be like, fuck, I don't feel safe now. I don't, what am I seeing that? You know, but if it's just like, oh yeah, you know, like yeah, we hit a pocket, it's fine. We'll we'll be fine. You go, okay, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, and it's- yeah. No, that's it's it's true. It's true. And I think yeah, I, I, and and I, I mean, it's it's one of those lessons that I continue learning, which is and and continue trying to learn, which is that idea of it's okay to fail. You know, like like if you if you go up there and you're like embracing failure on some level, like yeah, yeah okay that. Then, then, then your your expectations for yourself are set, and you actually don't get rattled as much by it. But again, that's a, that's a you know that's a whole other level of 
mindfulness. I want to. I want to. If it's if it's if it's okay, I'd love to. I'd love to add to that and say that if you're even thinking about it in terms of failure, you might be too result oriented. You know, I think right, you have right. to be okay with whatever. Obviously. Failure is sort of the and fa- I think we would define failure as just bombing horribly, doing yeah. a bad job. But even if your set isn't great, it doesn't necessarily have to be a failure unless you take it there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. It, no, it's true. And, and, and I and, an and I've been, have to be catastrophic. Yeah. I mean, I remember one time I did stand up and I was doing a, a, it was down in the East Village and I remember going out there and, and I was like I'm going to read because it was like a, 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 a you know try new stuff out kind of place night and I just was like I'm, I wrote this story and I'm going to read it because I didn't have it memorized and I was like fuck it I'm just going to read it and I started reading the story and I realized that way through like it's just not that funny and <laughs> I could see the audience just being like oh, and I was literally it was it was horrible it was a horrible horrible feeling and I look out in the audience and I see Peter Dinklage and he's, oh, sitting wow. there. and he's sitting there and I know Peter and I've, you know, known him for a number of years in New York and stuff, but I remember looking at his face and I'll never forget it because it, it's just like the whole universe just stopped. He was sitting next to two women and he was sitting like on this sort of like you know, like at, the bo- like at a booth or something. And he was sort of, and he had this look on his face. It was basically like this. <laughs> like he's trying to work out what you were doing. Like he was just like going, why is Asif doing this? Like it was like. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. it's fine. No, I think that's fine though. Right. I mean, yeah, he's. No, I mean, I was, it is fine. And yet I was devastated. And I just came off stage and my friends were, some of the friends that were in the audience who had been there and they had like bought drinks and stuff and they were like hanging out by the bar and I came off and I was like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. We got to go. And I was, and they were like, we just bought drinks. Like, hang out. Let's hang out. Like, it was great. And I was like, no, I, I, I have to, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And I literally like walked out of the, out of the bar, out of the, the club. And they were like, we just bought drinks. Like, what? And I was like, I'll be at the restaurant down the street on the corner. Come meet me there when you're done. And my friends were just like, okay. And so they, they, poor guys, they drank half their drinks and then just like met me at this place. They were like, what the fuck? And I was like, I couldn't be in that room. I could not. And I didn't want to look at Peter Dinklage in the eye. I, like, I could not even like. Did you ever run into him again? Huh? Did you ever run into him again? Yeah, yeah. I actually did like years later I, I saw him at something and I was like, dude, do you remember that night when I got, and to me, and this is the other thing, right? To me, it was such a huge experience of just, I was so humiliated and like, and Peter didn't even remember it. Like he was, he, I mean, but he remembered me doing stand up. He was like, Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, you were there. And like, I was like, I looked out at you and you had this look on your face. Like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, why is this happening? And, um, you looked like I had just decided to do a striptease or something. Like you were just like, what, why, why would you do that? And he was just like, really? He was like, Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And he was just kind of like, totally like that was not what was. And so it's so funny. Also like how you just, you know, project what it is that you, what I thought in that moment of myself 
I projected onto Peter and he was probably just like not some vacant expression on his face that, you know, and later he had no recollection of at all. So <laughs> you don't even know. it's like you'll map all this stuff onto it based on whatever kind of insecurities you're feeling. He might have been thinking about an audition that he like you don't even know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did that close the loop for you in your brain though? Did that yeah, kind of like weird way, in a weird way it did. It sort of made me go like, oh, and I've had that happen a couple of times. Like I had one um I feel like I'm dropping names now, but whatever. Like when I was at the Daily Show, Justin Timberlake was a guest and I went backstage just to say hi, because whatever, like, you know, it was like, like Olivia Munn was on the show at the time. And she was like, come say hi to Justin. And I was like, okay. So I went back and I said hi to Justin. And and my niece, you know, was about 10 years old or something at the time. And I was like, listen, I, I, I never do this. I, I, I never, um, this is like a, such a stupid thing. I was like, but could you just get, can I get a picture with you? Because my niece is a big fan of yours and, you know, and and he was like, oh yeah, sure. And he was totally cool about it. And he and we took a selfie. And and he was like, you know, how old is your how old is your niece? And I said, she's you know ten. And then he said, oh well, she's probably a little young for my music, isn't she? And I said, yeah, but she's just gonna think you're Zac Efron anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had to think that was funny. Did he? Did he laugh? He did laugh. And then I walked out of the room and Olivia was like, what the fuck did you say that for? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, why would you say that to him? Like, like, why would you insult him like that? And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even, re- I just was making it. It was just a joke. It was like, you know, it was like a kind of, and it was like kind of one of those jokes where he sort of like, he didn't even laugh. He just kind of went, oh, you know, like sort of like a half thing. Like, and I was just like, oh my God. And I felt so humiliated and, 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 and thought about that moment. Like, oh my God, I totally like was such an asshole to Justin Timberlake, who I have no reason to be an asshole to because totally like there's no reason. And, and then years later, I run into him. I go into the Bowery Hotel in New York and I'm with my wife and some friends and uh, my and Justin Timberlake, Justin is sitting there with some friends of his, and he sees me and he goes, "Hey, Asif," and he remembered me, and I was like, "Oh!" So I I went over there. My wife was going like, "How do you know Justin Timberlake?" Like she's confused by the whole thing. And I go over there, and he's like, "Hey, man, how are you?" Blah, blah, blah. And we're just making small talk. And then I said to him, "I said, I'm really sorry about that time when we were at the Daily Show, and I made that really inappropriate." called made fun of you and I called you Zach F and he was literally like what and I was like and I was like that time when I and then he was I could see like he was just like oh um yeah um oh okay and I, and I was like you know what just forget it forget the whole thing forget I really it. feel like I really feel like the way to have closed that loop is when he called you over go Zach Efron how are you buddy like, I, know. That, I feel like that's how that's how I should have died. But clearly, again, he had no memory of it. It didn't land on him at all. It was just on me. Like I was the one who was like perseverating over it for six years. That's I, great. I, I love that you bring that up because I do think that is a thing a lot of people do. A lot of uh, there's there, a lot of ruminating, a lot of replaying, and I even though we're sort of having this casual conversation about these embarrassing things that we do, and I've done that a million times too. It's like. 
how, how, how do we, and I know a lot of people do, overthink, how do you finally let yourself out of it? Like, do you, does it just kind of dissipate after a couple of days or do you have any kind of a thing that you do to like, okay, I'm going to allow myself, because I guess if we're talking about mindfulness, mindfulness would probably dictate that you would say, you would see yourself as the observer of that thought. I am. I see that my thoughts are feeling bad about a silly thing that I did, and just kind of observe it. Do you let it go? Like, what's your process? I think that the the ultimate realization is that nobody's thinking about shit that you did, <laughs> except you, <laughs> as much as you are. <laughs> You know, like, like I have these moments in my life where I've just made an ass of myself and I realized like, like I just, I just told you two of them. I could tell you more, but the thing is in those moments, I'm going, Oh fuck. You know that, but you realize that like people are, are obsessed are, in, are obsessed with their own lives. Like the way you are like, like they're thinking about their own shit. Like the thing that you said to them, like five years ago, in an off, in, in like a, a corridor somewhere, like, you know, like while you, whatever, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. And I just realized that like, oh yeah, like, like most of the time people are just like, yeah, whatever. And, and, and then also just the fact that you just own it, you know, you just go like, I'm an ass, um, you know, I, yeah, I say sometimes I put my foot in my mouth, you know, like that kind of thing. It's just like, well, just one of those things. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Wondery. Yeah, but it's also like if you work in comedy, if you're, you know, like sometimes it's just sort of a knee-jerk reaction to try to break the tension of a, you know, of a situation. Just like... Fuck around, and other times, I feel like we're unconsciously testing to see if other people have kind of like a comedy thing, you know. Because when you meet those people and you you make a silly joke, if they kind of want up it or go along with it, then it's like, oh, hey! And yeah. then all of a sudden, you've really connected with someone. And if they don't, 
you might go, oh, okay, well, that's not, that's not the, you know, either they're not in the mood or maybe they're just not that way. And yeah. you can just have a more cordial, like, yeah. You know, no, and, and I think that's true. And I think, look, it's happened to me the other way as well. Like people have said stuff to me and I've just, you know, to me, it just like went away, like rolled off my back or whatever. It was just a moment. It happened. You know, that person was a little bit stupid. That was a stupid thing to say or whatever. You know what I mean? But then that's it. You move on. And when they have come to me and, and, and said something about it or whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm all, I, I've had moments in my life where I've been like, wait, what? What, when did, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then you kind of go like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No worries. You know, and, and I know what it feels like because you don't want to dismiss the fact that they're having these feelings about it, but then you're also just like, it didn't register. Like, I don't remember, like it didn't make a big impact on me. So, yeah, you know, and so you realize that like, yeah, we're all just kind of human. I really try to, I try to super let people off the hook if they say, if they're like, Oh, this one time and I have no idea, or even if I do remember, but it just wasn't a big deal. I try. I really try to say, like, I understand what you're feeling. I have felt this way before, but I am telling you, do not worry yourself about it. Even one second more, wow, not a big deal, and you're fine. We're fine. All good. Oh, you know, that's like, nice. That's nice see. of you. That you. That's good. That's that's probably a good way to like, you know, just uh, not dismiss the feelings or whatever. You know, and and. Uh, yeah, because you don't want them to go away going, oh, I should have brought it up. And the next time, God, remember when I brought up the thing about the other thing? Yeah. God, I feel yeah, really... You just feel doubly, yeah. You're just like, <laughs> now like, I'm like, I'm like, I even feel more stupid now for bringing up the it's thing. Basically like trying to, it's basically like when you're losing money at a blackjack table and you start doubling your bets right. to try to like, and then all of a sudden you've lost an order of magnitude more <laughs> than what you... Because you just... Right. You've lost your house. So you know, yeah, like, you just keep doubling down. Yeah, you just keep going down. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about something that I read about you online and uh, and because it's something that I experienced too. Do you have tinnitus or tinnitus? I do. I do. I do too. And I haven't talked to a lot of other people who have it. Yeah. And I would love to just talk for a few minutes about it because I have this feeling that it's, you know, they say like 10 to 15% of people have it. But I feel like that number's probably got to go up because we're in the generation that grew up with fucking headphones and Walkmans and now AirPods and earbuds. And I feel like the the occurrence of it is going to increase significantly. So I'm curious, uh, when did you discover, was it a certain event or is it just something that you... No, so what happened to me was... um... I had a, so, so mine was a little bit uncharacteristically like the way that people normally get it, where I, I got it. Wait, you don't want to talk about it. I don't know what it is. I just don't. No, I, no, no, it's fine. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. I got it because um, I had a situation in my, in my ear canal and I still do, which is a, condi- it's a chronic condition. It's a skin condition that is in my ear canal, which causes my ear canal to want to close down basically. And, um, and now after years of seeing doctors and stuff, I have, I have, you know, treatment for it and I have ongoing doctors who take care of it. And, but when I first discovered this situation, it was a doctor in New York. She, she, I won't name her, but she discovered this thing. And 
she did something that she shouldn't have done. And I allowed her to do it, which was she went in and she um, just did some minor surgery in my ear canal with some topical, uh, um, um, what do you call it? Anesthetic? Anesthetic. And that caused scar tissue in my ear canal and on my eardrum. And I literally woke up the next day and there was like a in my ear. And I didn't know what it was. And I remember I had gone and it was weird because I, I probably didn't hear it because my apartment in New York was pretty noisy and whatever. I didn't hear it as much. But I went out to the Hamptons for the weekend with a friend and I was in this very quiet house and I woke up in the middle of the, like I, I went into this room and it was like eight o'clock at night. Everyone was going to bed. I'm not eight o'clock. It was like midnight where everyone's going to bed. And suddenly I'm in this place where there's no sound. And I just hear this like, and I thought it was like the, the cables or something outside, like the, the, the power lines or something. And I, it was, it was really scary for, and then I called my doctor and she said, Oh, it'll go away. Don't worry about it. Um, it's probably just something that happened. And, and then I, you know, subsequently it didn't go away and it stayed. And I went back to see her and she was like, Oh, the scar tissue and da da da. And it was just a whole thing. And um, so, yeah, consequently it's, it's remained f- with me uh, ever since then. Um, and, uh, that's, was mm, 10 years ago and I, and I, and I still have it, but the, the, the amazing, I don't know about your tinnitus and, and how it sort of manifests for you, but I, I did a lot of reading about it at the time. And, and I, and I, and I, tinnitus is, is, is a condition that actually is in the brain. It's not in the ear. Because your ear is just simply a vessel through which sound travels to the brain, and it just puts the sound in order. So it's sort of like having feedback on a on a, a speaker, you know. And the amazing thing about tinnitus also is that initially your brain hears that sound as a threat, and it free and it goes, "What the fuck is this? Like this is not supposed to be here." But over time depending on, I mean, different people have different experiences. For me, I will just say that like over time I have adjusted to the sound. Uh-huh. And also it was, it was um, my hearing diminished as a, as a result of what happened. And, um, and then I started wearing, started wearing a hearing aid in that. And then that helped with the tinnitus. A oh. little bit. But um, because it's also like a kind of, it's, it's connected to hearing loss and, a lot of people who have it from like loud noises or whatever, it's because you have hearing loss at a certain pitch and the brain is trying to fill in the frequency. Oh my God. And so like, where, what is yours like? What do you hear? Mine was, I went to a concert at the Hollywood bowl um, a handful of years ago and I went with some friends and we had kick-ass seats. We were like right behind the orchestra pit and they, we go and I just, I don't go to concerts very often. Right. And I just never occurred to me, like, bring earplugs. And at the beginning of the concert, they all pulled out, like, these... One guy had molded to his ear earplugs. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh, no. And I kind of had this realization of, like, that's something I should have done. Yeah. 
And after the first couple songs, someone gave me an extra set of them and I put them in, but it, it was sort of too late at that point. It's a very loud concert. It was a great concert, but it was really loud. And, um, and then they, ra- they rang for a while and, uh, and then I went to an event about a month later and we were outdoors and there was a DJ and it was loud. And I started to kind of feel like, oh, this is, I don't, this might not be good for my ears. And we left and I, we were in the car and it was just like, so for me, I hear it in both ears and it's a, an incredibly shrill, high pitched tone. Um, and the thing about it, that I think people, some people don't really realize is like you said, it's in your brain, but it also has this weird emotional component because if you find yourself, or at least if I find myself anxious, it goes up. But what's insidious about it is that it will sometimes create that anxiety. And so it creates, like, I don't know, lack of a better word, feedback loop. And then you're like, oh my, I mean, when I first discovered it, I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to live my life hearing this all the, I mean, it's like, and I realized I read and like, oh, everyone feels that way when they first, mm-hmm. did I always have this? And I just didn't notice it. But I do find, like you said, over time, your brain, it just, it doesn't, it becomes a lot less stressful. And now if I hear it when it's quiet at night, it's like, oh yeah, that, and maybe I'll turn on a little white noise machine or something or a little. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a, I find mine, I find mine goes up. Like you said, stress. If I'm tired, if I'm overly tired, sometimes when I eat a lot of sugar and stuff like that, so in a weird way, it's been a good sort of thing for my diet. (laughs) (laughs) They say, and I don't know what this, I don't know if there's actual science to back this up. I don't know, but they say things like sugar and caffeine, anything that elevates your heart rate. Yeah. Increases the. Well, yeah, yeah. And then that makes it. Um, There's a company that's just come out with a device and I don't know if it's, I don't know anything about it. I can't tell people to go do it. I just find it interesting and I might try it, but it's, um, uh, it's a wristband that has like haptic feedback on it. And for minutes a day for like two months, it plays a series of tones and I guess, and it vibrates on your wrist. And I guess the, 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 the theory behind it is that it trains your brain you're, you're trying to train your brain to recognize what sounds are exterior to your ears and what sounds are interior to your ears. Oh, wow, interesting. So that your brain will automatically, so that your brain will go, oh, I don't need to hear this because it's not a real thing in the external world. I don't know if it works, but um, I think it's called neosensory, but I I might try it just to see, you know, like. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, yeah. I mean, for me right now, it doesn't, in my day-to-day life, I don't, it doesn't affect me, but I do hear it. Like, like you said, like late at night, um, if I'm tired, if I'm stressed, if I've eaten a lot of salt or sugar, stuff like that, or like, I'm just not, you know, like, like those things, any kind of thing where I'm feeling anxious or whatever, like I, it will, it will start to, uh, be louder. And there are just some times where I'm just like, uh, you know, if I go to loud places, it's the same thing. Like if I go to a loud club, which I don't really do that much anymore and and luckily you know this happened to me as a middle-aged guy and I wasn't like raving and partying like you know I'm 21 um but 
if I do go to a loud concert or even a Broadway musical or whatever, like I'll notice that it's like, I'll come home, I'll hear it. It'll be louder. And then for me, it's like, I just got to go to bed. Right. I'm like, I'm like, sometimes I'll just tell my wife, I'm like, it's really loud right now. I can't, I got to go to sleep. And then if I go to sleep by the morning, it will be at another, it'll pitch down a little bit, you know, come, but it's, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. And, and, and I, and I have to say, like, I thought the same thing when it first happened, I was like, this is, I don't know how I'm going to have a career. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to live. Like, I remember telling my manager, like, listen, I've got this thing and I don't know what's going to happen, but it may affect like my ability to work and, you know, and get jobs and, and look, thank God, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's about the resilience of, of, of the way our brain works and how, you know, the stuff that we deal with in life. And, and, uh, and, and so, yeah. And I know what, it's amazing also how many people have it and live with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I guess I thought it would be interesting to talk about just because I haven't talked to a lot of the people who have it, but also for anyone who's just discovering or for anyone who has it, who has that initial like panic yeah. response, <clears throat> like it will get better. Like it gets okay. Your body does adjust to it. But if yeah. you don't know what it is, most people will be like, well, that doesn't sound. And it's like, well, if you, <laughs> if there was j- you know, if there was like a car alarm going off <laughs> all the time, right, right. You know, at a certain point, you'd be like, okay, what the fuck, you know? So yeah. I, I, I guess uh, I, I guess part of this was also just to let people know that, because I do think it's going to become more of a problem because we're in um, an earbud culture now. Yeah, no, I think it, I think that's totally true. I think that, you know, I mean, people listen to, music incredibly loud on their earbuds and their and there's just a lot of you know our, our ears are actually not you know especially if you live in a city like new york or you know or a big urban center like our ears are not really meant to deal with this much constant noise you know I, like ask for the industrial revolution <laughs> right you know it's like it's like um we're just meant to live in like the woods and like yeah you know, hear a deer or something you know what I mean like like it, it's like so so yeah we I think that the more and more it's kind of all I think you're gonna see people maybe struggling with it and hopefully that will also inspire because I unlike unlike people who have things with their eyes I feel like things that are connected to the ears there's not as much research and money being spent on on stuff for the ears because well yeah because for that in particular i don't think it wouldn't really be considered life-threatening but yeah. it's definitely quality of life threatening oh, if you yeah. know how to how to deal yeah. with it and 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 de-stressing trying to keep your anxiety levels down because you you know like it, a lot of the recommendations are like you know um uh, like anti-anxiety medication. It's like, well, I don't want to be on that. Like, I, like right, I just, right. you know, I don't want to have to rely yeah, on. No, I did. I took I took Clonopin, uh for for a while. Like right after, is it Clonopin? That is an anti-anxiety. I think I think yeah. it's benzodiazepine, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. So I took Clonopin for about a month or so when it first happened to me, just because I would be shaking at night in bed, like I couldn't get to sleep. Like I would just like lie, like I remember I was I was 
traveling and stuff and I'd be in like in a hotel room and I'd just be like, have these shakes because I was like hearing this noise. It was just terrifying. And, and I took Clonopin and it helped me a little bit, but then ultimately the thing that helped the most, I mean, this is just the reality of it is that like over time, you just, you just start, to, it just starts to integrate into your life and it just starts to become a thing, you know, like, okay, I have this, I have tennis elbow. Like I have this, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and when you're distracted, you don't really notice it. Yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because I just, again, it's, I, I just want people to know, like if you have it or you've just discovered it, you know, it's manageable and it won't yeah. always be that. And even occasionally if it spikes a little bit, it won't, it can, it'll go back down, you know, like you'll, you'll be yeah. okay. Um, Cause even that, even hearing that, like videos I watch where people said that, I could almost, I would almost feel it quiet down a little bit in those moments. Yeah. Because, you know, oh, okay. All right. You know what? I'll just, it, you know. Well, it's it, also one of those things where the more you talk about tinnitus, the more you, you hear it. Right. Because your, your brain goes, oh, right. That's fake. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like one right. of those weird things. <laughs> well, then let's, let's stop talking about it and talk about some other things. First of all, um, you, uh, you do so many cool things. Not not just you know with acting and writing and uh, but also you did a you did the Smithsonian podcast uh, the loss of the Smithsonian and there's really cool stuff in there you guys are finding like Fonzie's jacket yeah and all these really cool like Dorothy's Oz the ruby slippers and yeah. all these really cool cultural artifacts that. Now, as we are, a, you know, like in in the in the in the in pre nineteen hundreds, you know, you would think of historical items as being like a, a Gutenberg press or like the quill that you know they used to sign this document. But now it's like, oh yeah, well, yeah, Fonzie's jacket. These, these things are like art, they're artistic cultural touchstones, yeah, yeah, and should be preserved. Yeah, uh, and so there are these things at this just at the Smithsonian, just locked in archives. Yeah, no, they, they actually let me run wild in the behind the scenes in the archives, and the and they have these huge storage facilities that are temperature controlled, and you know you walk in there and it's kind of insane. It's like it's like oh here's Babe Ruth's jersey, and he, you know, and, and I was focusing the 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 series I did on um, Lost of the Smithsonian, which was focused on American entertainment and. Um, so they were all art artifacts from America's American entertainment. And I got to talk to amazing people. You know, I got to interview Henry Winkler, nicest which, guy. Was, which was a dream come true for me because I was that nerdy kid that had a picture of Fonzie on my wall when I was a kid, you know, like I had like, so he was like, you know, me and my friends would walk around school and be like, Hey, you know, doing the whole Fonzie thing. And then to interview the man himself and just, you know, talk to him and stuff. It was really kind of cool. And I, and then we did an episode on Archie Bunker and Edith's chairs from all in the family. Um, and I got to interview Norman Lear. Um, and, uh, we we did, we did episodes on, uh, the, the, so the weird thing was one of the episodes came about because, um, we were going through the, uh, we did the Muppets, you know, and, and, and that was kind of really cool. And I got to interview Frank Oz uh. for the, for the Muppets, but, but we were, one of the curators was taking me through the articast and they'd open up these doors of these metal closets and they'd just be like, you know, and these are 
Leonard Nimoy's ears from the, you know, the last Star Trek movie or whatever. You know what I mean? It was just like this crazy shit everywhere, you know? And uh, at one point he pulls out this laptop and he goes, this is um, Sarah Jessica Parker's uh, laptop from Sex and the City. And it so happened that I was on Sex and the City. Right. And I was the guy that fixed her laptop. <laughs> was that actually, was that the actual one? So that was, I, I'm sure she, I'm sure there's more than one, but like, but like it was one of them, you know what I mean? And so he was like, oh, this is the laptop that she, um, I forgot her character's name. Carrie Bradshaw. Carrie Bradshaw, right. So I was like, I was like, he was like, so this is Carrie Bradshaw's laptop from Sex and City. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know. I fixed this laptop. My character fixed this laptop on the episode called My Motherboard Myself, which was nominated for an Emmy and whatever. And so then we were like, why don't we just do an episode about this? That's really and, fun. And so we used these artifacts as a conversation into larger themes. So the, the Carrie Bradshaw computer... Uh, became a conversation with the creator of Sex and the City, the woman who wrote the original book, and 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 it became about um, you know women in the '90s and sort of the culture of of television, right? You know, telling stories about women for the mm-hmm. first time in that way that felt like we'd never seen before. And, what a and really so great we had some of these great conversations, like the conversation with Henry Winkler about Fonz's jacket turned into a conversation about acting and, and and how he created that character as a nerdy Jewish kid who like was like, you know, so this this nebbishy guy created this like almost Jekyll and Hyde character. Like that was his Mr. Hyde, you know, that was like, it was like this character came out of him that was not him. And 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 how he sort of did that. And also you know, we ended up talking about the, the sort of inherent weird misogyny that existed in that time. And that, you know, like Fonzie clicking his fingers and girls running over to him. And, you know, like, what would that be today? Like, how could you talk about, could you tell that story today? And could you, you know, and, 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 and he uh, talked about his thoughts on that, which were really interesting. And, and then I also interviewed Jose Feliciano, which was a fantastic thing because we were walking around the Smithsonian and we, and the guy, the curator opens up this thing and there's Jose Feliciano's guitar that he sang the national anthem with at the 1968 world series. And he got booed because they didn't like the way he sang it because he did this really folksy. It's actually, it's on YouTube. You can watch it. It's a really cool folksy kind of artistic version of, oh, say, can you see, you know, the Star Star Spangled Banner. People booed him and they were like, get this hippie, like Hispanic hippie guy out of here. And it was really interesting because he was, and he was actually staying down the street. And so they brought him to the Smithsonian. They said, he's, you know, he's in town. So I was like, can I interview him? So they bring him over. He comes with his wife. We sit down, we're in it, we're, and, he, and we're talking. It's one of the best episodes of it because we're talking and I said to him, you know, what happened to you is sort of like what's happening to the Colin Kaepernick's because you were doing something 
which was an expression of what you thought was true. And, you know, and, 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 um, and he was like, oh no, it's totally different. <laughs> it's totally different. And he did not go for it. And I was really shocked because I thought he was going to like identify himself with these football players who were taking the knee and all that. And he, he was, and he had a whole like different opinion of it. And I thought that was really fascinating to listen to it. And, and then he wrote a song right there about his guitar. And he the guitar? Kind of, did he play the guitar? Huh? Did, you, did he actually play the guitar? Oh, yeah, he started playing the guitar because he had the guitar right there. And then he just started playing it and started singing. And the next thing you know, he's singing the song and it's this beautiful, like, you know, acoustic guitar song. And he gets done and then he goes, uh, I'm probably going to have to, uh, you know, publish that or something so you can use the use it in the thing. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? That's not a, a song? And he's like, no, I just wrote that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and all of that is on the podcast. It's all in there. Yeah, you can listen to it. It's really that's, kind of genius. That's amazing. such a phenomenal idea because... You know, on the surface level, it's already just interesting to sort of talk about the history of these different pop culture things, props, things that yeah. are, you know, uh, the fabric of pop culture. But then for you to take that and then expand it and use it as a way in to these broader conversations, it's such a brilliant idea. It's just such a such a great idea. And and I, I know that Lost of the Smithsonian is available still because I saw it. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Can listen it's available. To. Yeah, you can you can you can download it and, and check it out. All the different things that you do, is there anything in particular that you feel like resonates with you the most, whether it's hosting or comedy or writing or or or, or theater acting or film acting or television acting? How do you like what is the thing for you that if someone were to meet you and they go, hey, well, you know, I'm Chris, Chris, I'm a banker and you go, oh, I'm us if I do act. like what what would you say? I mean, at the end of the day, I guess I am where I started, which is I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an actor. I'm, I'm an art. I mean, I guess I'm an artist. That sounds very kind of like hoity-toity pompous, you know, but it is. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I, I like to tell stories, you know, I like to and I like to create. And, and I've had the opportunity to do that in different formats, writing a book doing the podcast, doing, you know, being an actor and telling other people's stories on TV or in movies or whatever. But, um, and I've done comedy and I've done drama and I've, I've had, I've gotten the opportunity to toggle back and forth and do, you know, do both of those things. Uh, I've never thought of myself, I think because the daily show was such a phenomenal zeitgeist sort of show, people often, uh, think of me as a comedian and, um, but but that's not how I've ever identified myself. I, I I feel like I've always thought of myself as an actor who does comedy mm-hmm. and who does dramatic stuff. And like what I'm doing now on Evil is a completely, you know, a different type of thing than the Daily Show. It's a drama, you know. Um, and so and I've done both in my career. So I guess you know my first, I guess my first love or the thing where I started was acting in theater. You know, that's what I really, where I started and what I sort of identify with is the purest form of whatever it is that I do, you know, for me. But it is also interesting now that, because I think when you and I were growing up, 
things were very, you know, like hosts were hosts, actors were actors, stage, yeah. stage. There wasn't a ton of crossover and it just feels so nice now to be able to do so many different types right. of, types of things. Are you, oh, yeah. are you not back then? It was like, if you did TV, you weren't going to do movies, you know, like if you, if a TV actor wasn't going to be in a movie or a movie star, you know, and, and, and now I think the world is just so different with the, with the, internet and you know what I mean like like we live in a different world now like now you can host a show you can you can host a game show and you know Jamie Foxx is hosting a game show right as an Oscar yeah you know? yeah and it's like it's like yeah you can do that it's not there's no sort of rules anymore in that way like you just you know and that's great I, I feel like for someone like me who has just always thrived on doing a lot of different things um I, I love I love that, you know, I, I think it's great. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk, nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. Um, is, because I know Evil, Evil's back now. I think it came back June 20th. Yeah. Um, that's on CBS. And then I... It's, on, I, it's actually on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Yeah. You know, I just I get confused because everything Paramount Plus was CBS All Access right. and became Paramount Plus and incorporated all this Viacom stuff, and so it's even that I'm still it's it's when we were growing up everything was pretty much just the way it was for yeah. decades and now we're in the midst of this whole transformation of what content means like what's television what's yeah. All these traditional broadcasters are now like absorbing all this content to be streaming, and so like what's streaming? What's and I like I I legitimately have no predictions for what five years from now looks like in terms of what what tradition like what media is and what all right yeah no it's we're we're in a kind of renaissance of television and media and entertainment in this in this way you know because with the emergence of the streamers and and also like now we have you can reach a global audience which is something that you never could do 
before, you know, if you were making a television show on ABC or NBC, you were basically trying to reach an American audience. That was what you were making it for. But now if you make a show on Netflix, people in India are watching that show, you know, or on HBO or whatever, you know, like it's, it's, it's like, so there's a whole different, I, I think in, in some ways it is amazing. And also people are watching content differently now. They watch it when they want to watch it. They sit, you know, they, they stream it, they either binge it or they watch it week to, you know, like it's all based on how you want to experience and engage with the content now. And so, you know, this move that my show evil did where we went from CBS to Paramount plus in some ways, I think is, a, you know, obviously some people are like, Oh, you know, now we don't have Paramount plus and we had CBS, and, but I think ultimately it's creatively amazing for us because we get to do stuff on paramount plus without like standards and practices right and and you get to tell stories in a whole different way and also like reach a a, a much wider audience ultimately and and i think it's just so creatively it's it's a great thing and and also like network tv i think is also recognizing that people aren't sitting down and and tuning in at like Thursdays at 10, you know, and there's no sort of must-see TV, uh, you know, like when we were growing up, it was like, you know, NBC from 8 to 10, 8 to 11, it was must-see TV, you know, like... And Seinfeld and... like, you don't have that anymore. And so it's, and, 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 you know, like my kid or like my niece or whatever, they're watching content in a whole different way um, and on devices and stuff, you know, so I think that... um, this is the future and and you know and i think ultimately network the networks are realizing that oh this is where we need to put our energy and our money and our uh dollars our advertising dollars into like so i think you're going to see like i mean who knows what's going to happen in in terms of like what's going to happen the next five years you're going to we might see huge like already we saw like Time Warner and H was it Time Warner and HBO or something like merge yeah. or discovery or something. And time. Discover, I think it was discovery and AOL time Warner. Yeah. Merge, which is a weird marriage, but, but you, I think you're going to start seeing these sort of mergers happening where people are going to go, Oh, we have a bunch of content. We have a platform that a lot of people are, to, but we don't have the content. So we, you're seeing it already with Paramount plus so you got Viacom, and then you've got like all the movies of Paramount yeah. coming in. And so they're trying to create a place where you go and you just have like all kinds of content. You can watch movies, you can watch old TV shows, but Frasier, you can watch, you know, whatever, like, you know, yeah, but Indiana Jones or whatever, you know? The things that are good about it, I think, are also challenging about it, which is, yes, it's good as a subscriber. You go, oh, okay, so if I pay... I don't know, 10 or 20 bucks a month or whatever, whatever, I, whatever it is, eight, 10 dollars. Like six bucks a month. Okay, yeah. Well, that's, that's great. That's even better. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wow. I, you know, my brain goes, what a value for all these things I get. And then in practical application, I think what can be stressful is like, but how do I sort through all of it? You know, right. right. That's we true. We still have to sort it somehow. Yeah. And I feel like what we used to do where we'd, go to a, like a blockbuster and spend an hour looking at VHS jackets and going, <laughs> just doing this algorithm in your head of like cast, you know, like 
quality of artwork on box production yeah. company. Yeah. All right, I guess this is worth a rental. Now my wife and I will just for an hour just watch trailers for things and then go, yeah, I don't know, I'm tired. Let's just, you know, go to bed or put on a... Right. There's a whole app that's just trailers. Like, I will just watch trailers. Yeah. And and then just be, like, exhausted from that because it's like I've watched a whole show. You know, <laughs> like, just a bunch of trailers of movies and stuff that I'm not going to watch. Um, but, yeah, it is it is hard to sort through the content. And this is why you're seeing, in a weird way, that thing that used to happen, that sort of water cooler thing, you know, where... Did you watch Seinfeld last night or did you watch whatever it was, you know, now is happening in terms of the streaming world. Like, I feel like you're still, there's still things of like, oh, you got to see this show. Like I just saw this thing and, you know, and and people are now having those conversations. Like I just, we just had some friends over the other day and, you know, it was like part of the conversation was, was like, have you seen this show? Oh, you got to see this thing. It's great. You know what I mean? Like we just, we just binged it, you know? And so that is now the conversation. Um, the word of mouth, you know, becomes very uh, relevant uh, in all, in all of this. I got a prediction, Asif, which is that when we start to get older, that our, that our senior citizen center is going to have a series of actual water coolers where people can just cluster and talk about, <laughs> talk about our programs the way we did when we right, were. Right, the way you used that, exactly, yeah. We'll just, we'll just talk about it. It doesn't matter. It could be current shows, you know, it could be what happened on L.A. Law. Like, I don't know. It could, it could right. but just that L.A. Law, wow. <laughs> it's a weird pull. I don't know where that... Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I just, I was just, my brain just sort of like cross-referenced old shows from the 80s that we talked about at the water cooler and, and L.A. Law is what popped right, right. up. Yeah, I know. I felt like it would be a drama, had to have a lot of cast members, had to be something where like that people, yeah, my brain did a very quick. Yeah, yeah. that was good. I like L.A. LA Law is a good place to go. Have you, um, you probably even thought about the show L.A. Law since L.A. Law? I don't think anyone, like, when was the last time anyone had, like, a real... The crazy thing is that the minute... But the, here's the thing. This is the power of it, right? The minute you said L.A. Law, I know everyone who... I, I know Mark Hamill... Not Mark Hamill. Who was it? Uh, um, Harry Hamlin. Harry Hamlin. Yep. Susan Day. Susan Day. And then the... Now I'm totally blank. I just, I just had all of the images of all the actors... Like I, I, I don't remember their names, but I know all the faces of the of Jimmy Smiths. Jimmy Smith was on LA Law. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I remember, you know. It was very much part that was back when, you know, you watched there were only ten channels. Now there's hundred and eighty nine. You probably remember a Corbin Burnson who was uh Corbin Burnson. Oh man. I'm yeah. telling you, man, like I I I can't remember what I had for dinner like three days ago, but I'm just rattling off L.A. Law cast members. <laughs> That's where all that ram in my brain is going. <laughs> it's just thinking about the opening credits with the, like a, a trunk closing and then the yeah. license plate that says L.A. Law. Like that's that's <laughs> in my fucking head. That's yeah. entirely useful. Those, those, those made indelible marks on us, you know, those shows. Well, because that's what we we didn't – I mean – what what else did we really have to do at home in the eighties and the seventies? But <laughs> watch television. It's like, 
you know, like home gaming systems were fine, but we had it maybe an Atari 2600 or if it was late enough in the 80s, maybe in, in, in Nintendo. But, but in general, our activity at home was yeah. like we did not really have home computers that did that much. So it was television for us. Yeah, we yeah. And, and back then, also, the audience for these shows was huge. Enormous. Like 10, 12 million people would be watching the show. You know, like I spent mo- a lot of my career trying to get on a network show. And then I finally got on one. And now nobody gives a shit about network television <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God damn it. And, you know, now it's like if you get three or four million people, like. Oh, you're picked up forever. Yeah, you're doing great, you know. And it used to be that, like, you needed, like, 12 million to watch. But, you know, that was the kind of numbers that network TV used to get. Um, you know, Friends, I think, what was the finale of Friends got, like, 30 million people watching it? It was some ridiculous number, right? Like, I think like the last episode of MASH might have been, like, 80. Like, it was, yeah. like. 40 or 80. It was some insane... I gotta look it up, because it was it was some number, let's see, MASH final... MASH finale ratings. Jesus Christ. 105.9 million viewers. That's insane. That's insane. That is, like, slightly less than a third of our population... of the United States population now. Yeah. Yeah. So you realize, like, that was how many people tuned in at a particular time of night to watch a show dude okay so this same time this is where the internet rabbit hole happens so now i go okay what was the population of the united states in 1983 233.8 million 50 percent of percent of, of the country watched match with tvs 50 percent of people in the united states watched one television program when it aired that's yeah. fucking bananas yeah and i remember that i remember because I had only been in the country for about a year at that point. And I remember in high school, everyone was talking about, and we, I didn't, I grew up in England, so we didn't watch MASH. And everyone in school was talking about the finale of MASH is on tonight, the finale of MASH. And it was like, and I was just like, and my friends was like, oh my God, it's the greatest show. You got to watch. Like, and there was all this thing of like, you know, like if you don't watch the finale, like people who watch MASH, are, are, are worthy citizens. People who don't want, watch MASH are drug addicts and criminals. And, and, and you know what I mean? It was like, it was, and I remember like, I, I, I had never even watched the series because I grew up in a different country, but I watched the finale of MASH because it was such a important moment to, to, to seemingly to everyone in the country that I came home and I, and I, and we watched it. I can't even, uh, not knowing what was going on at all. But, I can't even imagine half. I mean, now that would be like 175 million people. Yeah. Watching one thing at one specific time. I really can't even wrap my mind around it now. It just isn't. I mean, it's just not something that would be possible anymore. It just isn't. There's it's just not. Yeah. There's no paradigm for it anymore. It just doesn't make sense. It just it wouldn't even. There would have to be like a technological apocalypse and then slowly there's only one way for people to see, like, so it's not, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We can't, we, we, yeah, you can't put the, whatever the genie back in the bottle or whatever, you, you know, whatever. But I'll is. tell you why I think that's good, especially for, for, for performers. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, one, one perspective might be, oh my God, can you imagine if you were on a show that 105 million people watch? But I think also 
where it could where it was potentially damaging if you were on a show like that the good and bad side was that because so many people saw you as one character on a show yeah. was very very difficult for people to then go on and do other things because people just saw them as like oh that you know that's clinger so i can only see that act i can only see yeah. or i'm not saying that happened to him but i'm just saying i'm guessing you know and now because the audiences tend to be a little more niche that i feel like that allows us to be more nimble as performers because you know like evil will have its own audience and this way up the show that you're doing with ashling b will have its own audience and there might be crossover but there doesn't necessarily have to be and that's okay and then people yeah. can discover one thing you're on and then that's sort of a gateway into other stuff yeah no you're... i think and, and i right and i think hollywood is is also catching up to that idea it used to be that you know if you were on a show you were identified with that show and that's how they wanted it to be you know they didn't want you then doing another show and now it, it feels like with the emergence of all this content it's almost like the good thing for actors is we can do multiple things now it's becoming more acceptable to do multiple things which you couldn't do before contractually right. you know and I think people are also seeing that like, oh, it's good for our show if Asif goes and does this other thing, you know, hosts a game show or whatever, you know? It's so different than it used to. It used to be so territorial. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be just even up until about like five or six years ago, there used to be like a sense of like, if you're on this network, you know, if you're on Netflix or whatever, you can't go do something on, on Showtime or, you know, like, and now it all just feels sort of like, People are much more, I mean, there's still a little bit of that, but there's, I think it's slowly starting to, the acceptance of the fact that like, we don't live in a, in a world anymore where these programmers and these networks and studios are controlling the, you know, the and they don't have the viewership to command that kind of control anymore. You know? I, I have a prediction, which I think might, I apologize for the negativity of this prediction. It's a little cynical, but I, my, I have this kind of like mild fear that some of that could come back because as these, as these mega companies become yeah. super mega companies, if, you know, if you're working and I don't, I'm not saying this is happening. I'm just saying, I wonder if it will happen that if you're, that if you work for a show that's under an umbrella of one super mega streaming conglomerate that, yeah. you know, 50 things, they might go like, oh, well, we're, you know, whatever, AOL, Time Warner, Discovery. You did a Netflix show, so we don't want you do like there because now the com- the competition is for, uh, you know, subscription dollars. So maybe yeah. I hope that doesn't happen because it I agree. End up, it may just be that like at the end of the day, we just got Netflix, Apple and Disney and the three of them just own everything. <laughs> you know? But then but then there's NBCU and Viacom and. AOL, Time Warner, and Discovery, and that's a shit ton. Discovery Plus alone is a fuck ton of content already. Yeah. yeah. And then AOL, Time Warner is a, a mega fuck ton of content. I mean, it's like so. It just it 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 is like watching everything. It's just like a lava lamp. Just like watching these things break apart and then just you know like glob back together. But then, how do these companies work? How do the infrastructures of these mega companies work fold together? And how do they deliver? You know, is it like, well, 
we're going to put them all on one app or like, oh, no, if you, you know, if you subscribe to Discovery Plus, then you also get. Yeah. You know, and you get 50 free hours of America online. You know, I have no I mean, I have no idea how it's going to work. But it's also an emerging of the entertainment industry and tech. Right. See a lot, you know, like we see with Apple, we see with Netflix. And how does that work? Because you have companies like Apple, which come from tech and are entering into entertainment and they're right. bringing all of that tech knowledge. And then you've got companies like Paramount Plus or CBS, whatever, which are entering from the entertainment side or HBO into a tech world and creating these platforms that are driven by algorithms and technology and stuff. Like, you know? I, and, I know, I know. And our, I think our content is going to end up becoming more like British television where they do like two seasons of something. Yeah. And then they're done. And they, be- and, they, and, they, and they, yes. And even with evil, we're not doing 22 episodes. We're doing 13 on CBS. And now when we go to Paramount plus, we'll be doing 10. Right. The, uh, third season. And so, and often that, actually helps with the quality of a show because no filler. You know, I, you know, I, yeah, you don't, because, because I was talking to Robert King about this actually early on when we decided to do, when they were like, we're going to do 13 instead of 22, which would be a normal network buy. And he was like, look, you know, we did that. And there's always like three or four shows that you just kind of don't like. And you're just like, ah, oh, those are just filler, you know, like, because you got to <laughs> fill in 22 episodes. But yeah. So some episodes more of a budget. So they got to do those, they got to do those episodes where maybe you're just in an office for the whole time because it's yeah, like we, exactly. we just stay a little bit so we could blow up something in episode 10. Yeah, right, right. You're stuck <laughs> in an elevator or in a bunker or something, you know, and it's like. <laughs> Remember? But yeah, or you, or you resort to like a very special episode. Very, a very special episode. <laughs> I uh, I just want I want to remind so Evil is on Paramount Plus and uh, This Way Up is on Hulu on Hulu show with Ashling B and that's that's July 9th. Um, yeah. Anything else you're working on that you want people to know about or anything that you that uh, you... well Evil is streaming right now. We're streaming. You know we just started uh, like you said This Way Up July 9th is I'm really excited about that. We did season two. Um, so great. You know and and I had such a blast working with those people. Sharon Horgan and Ashling, I'm such huge fans of theirs that I, you know, even worked, even went to London and did it for no money. So it was like, it was just a complete, like I just had fun. Um, I've got a couple of animated projects that are coming out at some point. Uh, one for Netflix called The Magician's Elephant, which is a, uh, uh, a based on a best-selling French novel. Um, and it's got some great people in it, Mandy Patinkin and... Um, and then another thing called Blazing Samurai, which is based on the 70s movie Blazing Saddles that Mel Brooks did. And Mel Brooks is producing the animated movie, which is all about a dog that ends up in a Western town full of cats. And so I'm excited about that. That's coming out as well. Those are the two animated features that I'm uh, that will come out probably maybe this year or later this year or next year or sometime. Fantastic. Are you in New York now? I'm in New York, and uh, this is where I where I live, and uh, and have managed to actually stay here this whole time. This, uh, you know, during this pandemic, we were bunkered down in my in our home here in New York. Yeah. Have you traveled a lot? Are you gonna try? Are you gonna travel some more? You know, we just we didn't we haven't traveled because we have a baby, and so although we just did take a road trip 
with him down. My, my wife is from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So we drove uh, to South Carolina to Hilton Head for a couple of weeks and then drove over to Atlanta and then drove back to New York. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like, <laughs> it was like, we travel. My wife and I used to take road trips all the time before we had child and now it's like we're like the rolling stones like we we like trap we just got so much shit like I, i'm literally that guy with the huge suv on the freeway like you know, the kids in the car seat i got you know just boxes of like toys and books and you know baby bathtubs and all of this shit in the back you know and we're just driving across country so um, but it was great. And we got to take our son to the beach for the first time. And that was really, cause also like he was born during a pandemic. So he hasn't seen the world, like right. he's barely seen, you know, he's seen people on screens and stuff, but he's not really gone out into the world. So we were like, let's go down and take him to the beach. And he, it was really kind of cool to, to have him. Good. Any, any good, uh, uh, cause eventually my wife and I are, our plan is to have kids and yeah. I, we like we also like road trips, and I was kind of thinking like, okay, so because you you get out in some stretches of highway and there's not like you you know you you get to these obviously now there's a lot of stuff. Um, when I was growing up, my dad loved to drive everywhere, so yeah. there was a lot less stuff in in between in the seventies and eighties. But now, however, you will get to these stretches. So if your child is like freaking the fuck out, as they are prone to do sometimes, and there's you can't really stop, you can't. What, what's the, is it a distraction? Do you like squeak a toy? Do you have to stop? Do you get out? Do you kind of walk them around? Like what's, what's your, what are your tips? So it's funny you ask this because actually this happened to us in North Carolina. Um, And so when I, when my wife was pregnant and he was in vitro or whatever you call that in utero, in utero, not in vitro, in utero. Right. I would sing to him every night in her stomach because, you know, they say that you should do that. And then the child in half. And so the thing is I sang the Beatles. I want to hold your hand to my son when he was in my wife's stomach every night. So now as he's now 15 months old, he's like a year and a half, almost a year and a half. In order to get him to go to sleep, we have to sing, I want to hold your hand, all my loving, and yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. So such a fun I, do my, I do my McCartney Beatles medley. That is so, spectacular. That's a good like baby brain hack, by the way. I know, I know. So we were like literally like we'll be in the car. And he will not be going to sleep and he's crying and he's, and it's his nap time. And, and my wife will literally be like, sing, start singing. <laughs> I'm, I'm driving and I'm literally, it's the most, and I'm like, oh yeah, tell you something. Boom, 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 I don't understand. And I'm just like singing at the top of my lungs. And you know what? It fucking works. Like he calms down. And his whatever, like, you know, thing he's got going on, he calms down, he settles down, and he sometimes often fall asleep, fall asleep. I have to just do it on a loop. I have to just sing Beatles, old Beatles songs on a loop, and then he will just slowly calm down. I hope to meet Paul McCartney one day and tell him that. 
That is spectacular because you know that in 20 years or 25 oh, yeah. years, you're going to get a phone call. Yeah, I got really bad insomnia. Can you just do the thing? <laughs> it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I know, but please close your eyes. And <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Can we just wean you on to the recording? Because the Beatles yeah. is a pretty good version of that song. Are you sure? It's got to be. All right. And it's funny. It's like, it's like, and, and because of, I sang it to him when he was inside, like only I can sing it. Like if my wife sings it, it doesn't work. And I feel like he's going to actually one day discover that I didn't write these songs. (laughs) (laughs) You know what you have to do? You're going to have to go, you're going to have to go into a studio and record them because if you go work on a job and you're traveling. Yeah. I'm not going to be around. Yeah. You're not going to be around, and, and she's going to be able to play it on her iPad or on her on her uh, iPhone, and have me. Yeah, that may that may be true. That may be true. Well, it is so wonderful to see you. I yeah, so great, man. Really hope I get to see you in person at some point. Maybe I'll run into you at another uh, Creative Arts <laughs> Emmy situation or yes. or something. You know, you can only hope. Yeah. Now that we can be around people again, so uh, I I hope you take care, and and I hope I see you. I hope I see you sooner. I, I really I really feel like it's been like seven or eight years since it has. I think the last time I did it, I did your podcast was you you had a place I forget off of Santa no, off no, of, it was a Meltdown Comics. Yes, yeah. We're not there anymore, by the way. Not only is the comic shop, the entire block is gone. Is it like, really? It's like the, the, the person who owned that whole block sold it or are de- they're developing it or something but it, it is across the street from that guitar place that's right yeah and it, yeah. it's it's gone like the wow. literally then a whole city block is probably going to just be like glass box condos and like wow. and or something underneath so wow i don't know it was uh it was it, but that that was fun man it's it's yeah. really really good to see you anyway great to see you and i hope to see you in person someday the end ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.